And let me ask you a question. Who are you? How do we see ourselves? How do we see others? What labels do we carry? What does your inner voice say? Have you ever listened to your self-talk, whether it be internal or external? Where do you get your identity from? There are many voices and sources constantly telling us who we are, or indeed who we should be. So as we begin, are you open to hearing what God might say to you just now? In looking at our identity, we're going to start from the beginning in Genesis, looking at both creation stories. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. Whoa, God, the amazing creator, all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, makes us in his image. Our identity, first and foremost, is from God, the good God. You and me, we are created. We are not an accident. We're not a byproduct. We are wanted, we are cherished, and we have a history. Verse 26 continues. So they, humans, can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and the earth itself. So we have a role. We've got a purpose, a reason to be here. We've got a job to do. We don't need to be searching for our purpose. The big picture is already given to us. And just in case you didn't get the significance of the first point, in verse 27 it's repeated. And even within that verse it's repeated again. The repetition tells us you need to hear this, you need to know this, this is important. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Next, in verse 28, God blessed them. It's the first thing God does. God conveys his blessing on us. We are not cursed, we are blessed. God says, I love you, I want the best for you. And note that we haven't done anything yet. We didn't earn this blessing, it comes to us from God. And this is a real hope. Because in giving the blessing, God also fulfills it. This isn't some nice, vague sentiment. This is our Heavenly Father who loves us, creates us, blesses us. And so to verse 31. God looked over everything he made and he saw that it was good. Very good. You and me are created good. And lastly, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed man from the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. If you are thinking that our identity, our existence comes from within inside ourselves, that our identity is just inside us, we just need to discover it, this tells us that clearly our being, our existence comes from God. So you are made in the image of God. You are important and you have a role. You are blessed, you are good, and it is all from God. We are truly amazing. How I wish my talk ended there. This is the full picture of who we are. Genesis chapter 3, the fall. Here we sin. 
We ignore God. We trust his instructions. We doubt God loves us. We decide not God. We decide against God. So the consequences of our sin become clear, far-reaching, painful. Very painful. Very costly for us and very costly for God. We are truly awful. We are all fallen humans. We all sin repeatedly, daily. It strikes me that confession, actively calling to mind, thinking about and naming our sin, isn't very popular or common. We don't seem to give much time to recognising the impact we have that our sin has on others and ourselves and God. Yet it's who we are. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spreads to all because we all have sinned. So we are awful. We are devious, deceitful, defiant, hypocritical, jealous. We hurt others, we're unkind, we're proud, we're selfish, just to name but a few. And we're pretty awful internally with what we think and what our heart's about, and externally in what we do. So our identity is both truly amazing and truly awful. And we need to hold both aspects of our identity in balance. Too much one way or the other is not helpful. Some of us need to grab hold of our amazingness, the wonderfulness of our creation, our goodness, to hear others tell us about the truth about who we are from God, about how God loves us, he made us, he blesses us, he wants us. And some of us need to grab hold of our awfulness. We need to stop dropping it, ignoring it, burying it. We need to own it, we need to name it, and we need to face it. And we need to stop looking at others and saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. We are all truly amazing. And we are all truly awful. My last point is from Genesis 21. God has just created and loved and taught and blessed and supported humans. Humans have just made the mother of all mess-ups. And there are serious consequences. I bet God was monumentally cross, deeply sad, hugely disappointed and bitterly hurt. And after we've made the biggest mistake ever, what does God do? And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife and he clothed them. God helped them, beautifully, simply. From the pit of failure, they didn't deserve it, quite the opposite. God knew them, he loved them. And this isn't just love in words, this is love in action. So to conclude, God loves each and every one of us. We are truly amazing and we are truly awful. We get our identity from our wonderful, powerful, loving, just, compassionate, tender, victorious God. This loving, gracious God who created you and me, who knows you and me, who loves you and me, who blesses you and me, and who forgives you and me more than I think we will ever fully understand.
So I was in the pub with my dad the other day. I said, you're around. He said, so are you. Cheers, Dad. <laughs> so I was, praying, I was praying today for what to speak to you, and I really felt God lay on my heart the parable of the prodigal son. Now, if you've been around the church a while, you know the story. You've got these two boys who've got a rich dad. One says, Dad, I'm bored. I want my inheritance. And because the father loved his son, he gave him a third of everything he owns. He took it away and spent it on what the Bible called riotous living. Drugs, prostitutes, alcohol, the lot. He wakes up in a field full of pigs, which is a big shame to him because he's Jewish. And he says, I can't do this anymore. My father's servants live better than this. So he gets up and he goes to his father. His dad is out looking for him, sees him, runs to him, embraces him and says, my son was dead, but now he's alive. It's a parable that shows a really clear image of our relationship with God. God is the father, the one that we run away from in sin and run back to in repentance. We're the son, always toing and froing in our relationship with God. And you know, you can take a million steps away from God in sin, but it takes one step to come back to him in repentance. It's that one step we're going to look at. So Luke 15, 18 says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. You see, the prodigal son knows that he's messed up and he's not pretending to be sorry. He is actually sorry. He knows he needs his father. And he shows a willingness to turn his life on the back of sin and shame. He wants to beg his father to take him back as a servant. But when we read in Luke 15, 20, But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. At that point, when the son needed his father, the father came rushing in. I think our story is really like that of the prodigal son sometimes. You see, the prodigal son, like a lot of us, had everything he needed. Money, friends, power. But he wanted more. And just like the prodigal son, we always seem to be chasing something. We seem something we want and we run after it. And the thing we want most in life, we're going to run hardest after. Jesus said the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God. But we get that flipped on its head sometimes. Some of us want love most of all. So we've got sites like Tinder or Christian Mingle to find it. I've seen some of you on that. <laughs> some of us go. True story. Some of us want some of us want power or respect. So we lie and we cheat to find it. Some of us want pleasure, so we turn to alcohol or to drugs to find it. Love Respect, power, pleasure, they aren't bad things to want as long as we want them more. As long as we don't want them more than we want our God. This is, this is going terribly. <laughs> the thing is, I'll be completely honest with you, when we want those things more than we want God, we turn them into idols. And the problem comes when we elevate our sin and our idol over God. Because we end up running after the thing that takes us away from God. And we end up like the prodigal son far away from God. The results can be messy. What I always find interesting is where the prodigal son ended up. He was in a field full of pigs, but it wasn't always that way. Luke 15, 14 says, after he, after he had spent everything, 
there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. The prodigal son lost everything. The same thing will happen to us if we walk away from God. It might not happen all at once. Those things that we chase, that we want more than than we want God, they might give us some temporary satisfaction, but it won't last. And eventually we end up hitting rock bottom and end up with a prodigal son in a field full of pigs, trapped by our own sin and shame. And it's painful. It's not a nice place to be separated from God. Jesus on the cross in one of the most gut-wrenching pieces of scripture says... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To have known the love of the Father and to be separate from it, it can be really painful. And we're really good at putting up masks and pretending everything's okay. I know I do it. I also am not the only one. None of us have got this right. We've all got areas where we're far from God. We've all messed up. There will be people here who feel at rock bottom, far from their heavenly father, not sure where it went wrong. Some of us might be walking away and not even realising what we're doing in some area of our life. Some of us are really hurting because we feel trapped. But you know, the amazing thing is, it's not important how you got there. What's important is that you do something about it. The prodigal son did something about it. Luke fifteen twenty begins with, So he got up and went to his father. The prodigal son realised that he'd messed up and how far astray he'd gone. He started as a son, he then became a slave to his own sin, and went to go back to his father as a servant. He made, though, a decision to go back to his father. And each of us has a choice when it comes when we're far from God. Despite how painful it is, despite how hopeless it looks, we can stay where the prodigal son was in the field full of pigs, defined and trapped by our own sin. Or we can do what the prodigal son did. We can get up and go to our father. God loves us, but he's not going to force that love on you. We have to make the choice to accept it. We have to make the choice to go to him. Just like the prodigal son getting up to go back to his father, we have to make the choice to go back to a God that loves us. And knowing that that's the choice, is there really a choice at all? Haven't we had enough time in the field with the pigs? How bad do things have to get in our lives before we say, I want my God? How far do we have to walk away in areas of our lives before we turn around? Maybe we look at the mess, certain bits of our lives, and we say, God doesn't want me to come back looking like this. I'll just clean myself up a bit first. But that's not what God did. That's not what the son did either. He went back as he was, as messy as he was. And what did the father do? He ran to his son. It only takes a little step for God to come rushing in. Why? Because God loves us, irrespective of our mess. Jesus said on the cross in John 19.30, it is finished. He took the blame, he took the punishment, the guilt, the shame... All that we could come home. The son was welcomed back by his father with no guilt. He wanted to go back as a servant, but he was welcomed back as a son. And our father God treats us the same way. He's never stopped loving us. God is not 
shocked by our sin. He's not ashamed of our brokenness. He's not intimidated by our weakness or our doubts. When you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you can know God. And you can know him with that saying, never stopping, never giving up, crazy, insane love that rings the bell during a sermon, but also <laughs> left God, lets, lets us come home to God. God is right where we left him, waiting for us to come home. So I want to ask you, are you feeling far from God in some area in your life? Are you feeling like you're losing sight of God? Then get up and go to your father. I'm just going to pray for you guys very quickly. You bow your heads. Father God, I thank you for everyone here. I pray, God, that you would just help us see those places where we are far from you. I I pray, God, that you would convict us of those areas of brokenness and places where we're hurting, Father. Bring them to mind. Father God, give us the strength to to take a stand, no matter how much it hurts, God, no matter how much it, it, it looks like we can't come back, Father. Give us the strength to take that first step. Father God, I pray that you would give us the the, the sight and the, the wisdom to make a choice to come back to you. Amen. So, one of my favourite stories that I heard when I was in boarding school was about a man on a hill in the middle of a flood. And uh, so... He was, the water was rising and he had no way to escape and he was panicking. So he decides to pray to God for a miracle. And then a boat comes past full of his friends and they ask him if he wants a ride to safety. And instead of saying yes, like a normal person, he says, no, um, God's got it. I'll, I'll wait. And his friends are away. And then he waits and the water continues to rise and he continues to wait and a helicopter comes by. And he gets asked once again, can we take you to safety? And once again he says no, because God's got it. I'm going to be saved. And you probably won't be surprised to hear that in the end he drowns. But when he gets up there to heaven, he asks God, I, I prayed to you, why didn't you, why didn't you save me? And God responds, Who do you think sent the boat and the helicopter? (laughs) So, I'm going to do a bit of a primary teacher bit here and say, what what do we learn from this story? So, God's provision isn't always a huge, improbable gesture. And he often works in ways that we can't foresee. So, don't discount other solutions to your problems. Sometimes he offers us ways to help ourselves. And sometimes we need to see, look closer to see that he's working. So always keep yourself open to his methods. I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience of God's provision. So a lot of you will know that this summer I went to Thailand. When I first um, felt like God was calling me to Thailand, I was terrified. I had... I knew in my heart that God wanted me to be in Thailand helping victims of, uh, of human trafficking 
and I knew that I wanted to work with this organisation that Gree, um, my friend Gree had told me about. Um, but at the same time, Thailand is incredibly far away, and I'd never even wanted to go there on holiday. So <laughs> I was kind of like, no, um, okay. So um, I dithered a lot with the application. I completely panicked. I deleted it so many times. And then it took a while, but I applied. And I applied to the Justice School, which is a program out in Thailand that um, teaches young Christians all about human trafficking and allows you to work with um, victims of sexual exploitation. And it was great. But um, I had not looked at the price tag when I applied for this, um, which in hindsight was probably good because I definitely would not have taken the leap if I knew how much it cost. Um, and once I knew, I could have quit. And I know people who did, but at that point, I wanted it too much. God had grown a yearning in me for this. And I didn't want to quit before I'd even given fundraising a try. And so everyone at church was incredibly supportive. Um, but they did... So I got the typical response that God will provide. You'll get there. It's going to happen. And I said, yeah, of course. Of course it's going to happen. But I... And I know he provides, but I... I just, I can't quite believe it. I, I just, I thought that it was, I, I believed it on a surface level, but I was determined that in the end it would all be on me to raise the money, and I couldn't rely on God to provide a miracle, because money's not his realm, right? Spoiler alert, I was wrong. Um, but to cut a long story short, I went to Thailand, I was there last summer, it was an incredible experience. And I learned a lot from it, and I'm a different person now to the one that began the journey. However, just as most typical Bible stories go, I did not, um, I was challenged once again a couple of months ago and seemed to have forgotten all that I'd learned. Um, so I was struggling again financially, and again, I could not believe that God was going to send me some, any sort of miracle. I was just going to have to work my butt off and figure out how to raise enough money. But once again, he provided. I don't know if the slide is up there. Um, so I received an envelope full of cash, mysteriously, just turned up in my handbag. And just look at that message on there. I never seen anything so beautiful. Too sorry from God, I always provide. I needed that. <laughs> um, so in the face of that, how like with, with a gift so incredible and tangible, how can I how can I doubt? Um, so it's no surprise that I was drawn to speak on the um, on God's provision today. And by, the Bible talks a lot about his provision. Um, for his people in times of need and in various different senses, not just financially. But knowing the truth and believing the truth are very different. And I didn't think I could be the only one feeling that God has bigger concerns um, than like, my lack of funds. And I, I can't be the only one who feels like... I can't be the only one who feels like I should sort myself out. But I seem to forget that God is the ultimate father. The depth of his love for his children is 
just unfathomable. He loves every single opportunity to help us out. Sorry. Um, so what puts this into perspective for me is um, Romans 8.32. How, so there it is up there. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give all things? How powerful is that? He gave his only son for us, and I could I couldn't believe that he'd give me the tiniest thing. He denies us nothing so long as it does us good. And all he asks is that we trust in him, that we follow where he leads us and rely on him to equip us. There are so many instances in the Bible where he provides for those who doubt. And they're up behind me. I'm not going to say them all because there are way too many. Um, But the valuable truth that we are able to gather from all of this is that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So it's okay if you're not ready. He will make you ready. So what I would like you all to think about this week um, is do you know the truth or do you, uh, do you just know the truth or do you actually believe it I have some challenges up there is God calling you to do something that you don't feel equipped for do you trust God to provide for you when taking risks um, that you feel his guidance in so obviously what I talked about was financial but this could be anything so it could be anything from expensive time-consuming ventures, inviting friends and talking to them about God, joining a club, a reading group that you just don't feel ready for, um, joining a sports club when you definitely don't feel fit, um, or, um, hint, hint, leading alpha, <laughs> or doing a talk like this, because <laughs> I didn't feel ready for this. Um, so I'm just going to um, pray out of this, and um, we're going to play... Uh, song that I think is really encouraging for me so let's just bow our heads Father God thank you that you are a God who provides you are a father who loves to provide and to take part in the lives of his children in every single way possible Lord we give up all presumptions that we can overcome our challenges without you that you are not willing to provide uh, provide when you call on us I pray for clarity for the people in this room. Show each of us where you are challenging us, God. Give us the courage to step out of our comfort zones, trusting in you to provide, to catch us. Father, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. the city that we lived in and the worlds that we live in 
and, and that's something that we felt like God's been challenging us um, and we've been trying to put into practice um, for the last few months. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so we thought that, well, we named it Love in Action, our, our talk. We thought the first step of that was to be aware, so actually take note of what's going on around us, whether that's in our community or whether that's in the wider world. So we thought we'd start with a bit of a quiz, a bit of a, uh, audience participation. Um, we've got the first blank to fill in. Um, so if I throw out some numbers, if you shout out how many violent and sex offences you think have occurred in your work in the last year.
sometimes it's easier said than done, but it is something to be, I think, being aware is like a first step to it. Um, and then we, yeah, we've got three practical examples that we thought we could look into. So um, the first one is we've got like a little um, logo with each other. So, <laughs> so being like aware of being aware of what's going on so that you can pray about it. I think a lot of people, um, well, actually, we we said on a number of occasions over the last few months, like, oh my goodness, like, where do you even start? You kind of feel helpless when you realise how much um, is going on in the world, but you can pray, but it's like, that's amazing, it's the one thing that you absolutely, in every single circumstance, can do. So, a little um, practical way that, something we've found, um, we read the news um, over breakfast, what other old people couple we are, and we So give time, and that could be giving time by volunteering for charities and things, it could be giving time by helping out those that you know in whatever way is helpful for them. It could be giving time to people that you wouldn't normally talk to uh, in your every day, um, and that could have a massive effect on, on that person's day, and have a massive effect on that person's life by just taking the time to, to talk. And the third thing we thought was um, was to be generous, be generous um, in your day to day. So um, whether that's being generous financially to charity that you support, or whether that's um, buying a sandwich for the down the street, or um, hosting a meal for your friends at home, like it, it can be a variety of things. But just being generous with what you have, with what God's given you, um, we feel like that's something that um, all stems from kind of being aware of and willing to action. Um, so, those are three things to think about. Um, yeah, and we thought that we'd just have a time to respond now. Um, and so, we thought that if you could decide on a way in which you can become more aware of uh, what is going on around you, um, just take time to think of um, what you don't usually think of. So, um, and then once you got something that you feel is on your heart, to choose uh, from the three actions of um, how you can act on that, how can you show God's love um, in that particular area. Um, and if you notice down on the phone, it's like a reminder, um, there should be some post-it notes at the back uh, for those that um, want to use pen and paper. I'm pretty sure most of you have phones. I was like, I think this is G2 we're talking about, but if you don't have a phone, then there are post-its. So. Um, and then, yeah, you can chat, chat after too.